0: This has been an interesting month for me, Um, well a couple of months really I suppose. My parents celebrated their golden wedding anniversary on the last day of September and we had the inevitable party on Saturday the 1st of September. And then last Sunday, um, uh, the church I was preaching at, we were celebrating a couple in the church who'd been married for 60 years. Uh, which is an amazing achievement by any stretch of the imagination, isn't it? Uh, that's a diamond wedding anniversary. Has anybody reached that here? Yeah, there's somebody at the back. Has had a, have you had it or are going to have it? You've had it. So moving, moving on into the next 60 years. Well, at both of the occasions, we thought we'd do a quiz. Uh, and uh, I did it, the first one. And, oh, we need, to, we need to flick through these, because we've seen those. Um, here we go. I thought we'd do a quiz, and I, I wondered about doing it this morning. I don't know what you think, uh, whether you'd like to play Mr. and Mrs. Um, there should be a bit of music coming with that, uh, if it's uh, turned on. Uh, and uh, find out how couples are getting on, and, and how it works. But we didn't do it last Sunday, and shall I do it this Sunday? Shall I? so I picked a random couple I won't know them I won't know their answers and it could be no alright I won't do it because otherwise you might be offended but you know it made me think it made me think about a number of things Uh, uh, I don't know if you're a romantic here this morning and uh, you can remember back to your, your very first kiss I'm talking you know way back I'm talking before the person you're married. Can you remember that? Perhaps you shouldn't. Or maybe, um, maybe you, you realise that, that that you remember that moment when you you realise that you would really fallen in love. Do you remember that when the relationship really began to to, to pull together? Or or maybe it's more up to date. Maybe you, need, you you know memory doesn't go back that far, and uh, you just need to remember this morning the moment you last gave or received a bunch of flowers. Oh dear, it doesn't seem like many people have done that one. (laughs) Hang on, romantic stuff, you know, it's important. Just thinking, I haven't done it for a while. (laughs) Or maybe it's easier to to remember the most annoying, patience-bursting, blood-pressure-raising, unreasonable thing your wife or husband did in the last few days. Can you remember that one? Yeah, it's terrible how we remember the bad things more easily than the good things. Well, I must be careful this morning because my wife's here, but um, we actually met on a blind date underneath Big Ben. I held the rose, and it was the most terrifying moment of both our lives. So I don't recommend this particular experience, even though. Uh, It did lead to good things, and here we are today. Most relationships like that have uh, a favourite song, and we have a new favourite song uh, that I'm going to play you. It actually is only being released tomorrow, but it has been played on the radio. It's Katie Melio, and hopefully we are going to get some sound, because uh, this is a great little song, and I want you to hear the words for the first verse. My days. if you're a preacher I begin to change my ways. favorite song isn't it <laughs> cuz I'm a preacher and never mind we won't go there this morning but um, all relationships whether they're marriage relationships or uh, relationships we form as friends or, uh, or in the workplace or in, out there in society, we, uh, all relationships have a starting point and a, a growth, don't they? They develop and they become something more and, and sometimes they fall away and, and change. Well, we're going to look this morning at John chapter 1 at some relationship forming. This is the story, as uh, we were told, of the, the beginning of, of Jesus' group of 12 disciples, the 12 men that he chose to spend three years with before he went to heaven, uh, back to heaven. The 12 men who turned the world upside down, or at least 11 of them, when they began all that we have today uh, called church, the, uh, the people who follow and know Jesus. And if you want to follow it in your Bible, it might be useful, but you don't have to, you don't need to. There's maybe some stuff on the screen as well. John chapter 1, where Jesus calls these disciples. People who uh, were wowed by his personality, the characteristics that he displayed. People who loved his teaching, hung on to his every word. People who were absolutely astonished by his miracles people who discovered an impact, the impact that Jesus could have on their lives. The first of these really was just before the passage that we had read to us, Uh, a man called John the Baptist. John the Baptist pointed Jesus out and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then in this passage we have uh, uh, Nathaniel who, who says, we have found the one. Or Philip rather who says it to Nathanael, we have found the one. There was, there was some recognition of who Jesus was. On another occasion Jesus went to his hometown and everybody it says spoke well of him. Uh, were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips, saying or asking, isn't this Joseph's son? And in this passage back in John chapter 1, three different types of groups of people, really, who discovered Jesus, starting with scary traveling preacher John the Baptist. He was scary because of the way he lived, because of the work clothes he wore, because of the hair he grew, because of the wildness of his nature as he travelled around, through the desert place, through the towns and around the, 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 the river rivers, uh, preaching and teaching. Not every travelling preacher is, not, is as scary. It's true. I'm not, I'm not, not that scary, am I? Please, please... Humor me. All right, maybe I am. Anyway, uh, he, he ate uh, locusts and wild honey. I certainly hope I'm not having that for lunch today. And had this historic message prepare the way of the Lord. He was setting out to prepare the way, he said, for Jesus. He always makes me think of Forrest Gump. Do you remember that film? Forrest Gump running and running and running and running and running and running and his hair grew as he ran, his beard grew as he ran and he just got more and more scary looking as he ran and he ran day in day out. I don't know how anybody does that. I certainly don't know how you walk over the Pennines, that just blows my mind. But he became how I imagine John the Baptist must have looked like. Come to think of it, uh, Tom Hanks... Often kind of looks like that in films, doesn't he? Remember Castaway, he looked pretty much the same as well. Well, John the Baptist was the one, the baby, in the womb of Elizabeth that leapt when Mary, the mother of Jesus, the newly pregnant Mary, met Elizabeth in her hometown. So right from before birth, John the Baptist kind of confirmed Jesus. He kind of was a signpost to Jesus. Elizabeth knew that Mary's baby being nurtured in her womb was someone way beyond possibility, really, because this child of hers leapt in the womb. John went on and on to be a signpost to people who encounter Jesus. I I, uh, rely very much on uh, Sat Nav for my travels. Uh, I relied upon it this morning. There was a scary moment when for about three minutes it went wild. It was all over the place and I thought, it's not going to work this morning. I'm going to have to get those maps out and try and find my way to Burlington Baptist but then it all clicked back into space into place and I began to follow it It brought us a very interesting way because we came from Saxmundon this morning should have just come down the A12 I guess into Ipswich but it brought us all through the backcountry lanes so it made for a very pleasant Sunday morning drive I we loved it except there was a little nervousness will this sat nav get us there I remember a few months ago we were on a mission up in uh, the northeast of England and uh, we didn't know any of the towns, had never been in that area before, so we were relying on the sat-nav because we had different events in different towns every day, but we were staying in one place. And on one particular day we went to Redcar, I don't know, anybody come from Redcar, anyone know Redcar? We didn't know Redcar, I had no idea. We got in the car, we set the SATNAV, and uh, we started off on the journey to Redcar. We got to Redcar, nice big sign, says you're in Redcar. We thought the SATNAV's done its job. We got to the road where we knew the church was, we were going to, and sure enough, that road came up and and it was on the SATNAV and on the side of the road. We knew we were in the right road. We drove along the road and we came to the church on the left, and we just noticed the church as we drove past it. Now, Bear in mind, there's a convoy of us, there's a van and there's at least two cars. So we can't just suddenly turn around in the road. So we drive on up to the end of the road. And we get to the end of the road, there's a little mini roundabout. And as we get to the mini roundabout and start going around it, someone says, that's the sea! There was a beach. We thought we were inland. We thought we were in the middle of England, or the north of England. But the Satnav nav had taken us, the signpost had taken us to Redcar, And we were actually on the coast. You need signposts. You need things that will take you to the place where you need to be. The situation you need to be in. And John the Baptist provides a signpost to Jesus. He's the one who takes us and says, this is the guy, this is the one, this is who you should follow. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There are, of course, other signposts. There are people in your life, if you're not a Christian this morning, there are people in your life who are a signpost to Jesus. You know, it's those things about them you can't quite make out. Why are they like that? Why do they say that? How, why is it I can trust them more than somebody else? Why is it that they are whatever it is that really impresses you? And there's no other explanation. You kind of find, look for other explanations, but the main explanation is that that Jesus is in their lives and they're like a signpost showing the route to Jesus and and you should get behind them. Of course, that, for those of us that are Christians, is an enormous challenge, isn't it? Because as we leave this building this afternoon, because it will be just turned 12, as we leave this room, this hall, this church, we are signposts in the world to everybody around us. Paul says, you are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody else. You show you are a letter from Christ. People read us. People read our lives. The question is, what sort of signpost are we? It's fascinating arriving here, because it was a little complicated on the sat-nav getting into this particular road, Uh, and uh, we went on some other roads, and I discovered this is the centre for the celebration of, well not the centre, but it's, there's all these slave trade uh, remembrances around, the Wilberforce Road and Clarkson Road and so on. And, and I was going to tell you this morning, I'll speak to you this morning, but maybe you know all about this stuff, just uh, one of the great signposts of the past is, is William Wilberforce, a politician who followed God and God's will who knew God at work in his life who had a heart for people the people he worked with the people around him people in this country and for the thousands upon thousands of people caught up in the slave trade he worked tirelessly endlessly for 30 years to change that to change the law and then for another 30 years before the law was changed finally and there was both no slave trade and no slavery and there are people today following in his footsteps, Christians motivated by their love for God, who are doing everything they can to halt modern day slavery. Because slavery is an abomination. It's a signpost to what God can do, the radical change that God can make in your life. But the most reliable signpost is this book, the Bible. And people like the people in John chapter 1 that we're going to just encounter now so I want you to come and see just as they were told to come and see picture the scene John the Baptist scary John the Baptist he's got a number of followers Uh, they called them disciples because they listened and learned and followed and worked with him two of them hear his confirmation a second time behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and uh, verse 37 they begin to follow Jesus So they leave John the Baptist behind, and uh, this is not an act of disloyalty. This is exactly what John the Baptist was expecting, that people would begin to follow Jesus. The people who followed him would follow after Jesus. And so this is what happens. And in verse 38, this is somewhat surprising, they're following Jesus, and Jesus stops in his tracks, he turns around, and he says to them, what do you want? Or was it, what do you want? Or was it... What do you want? What kind of what, it, what do you want it is, I don't know. But what it was, however blunt it may seem to our ears, was a question that was to spark a response in their lives and they ask, where are you staying? It's not kind of really what, what you'd have expected. A bit bit of a cheeky response really I mean they've just stopped following John the Baptist they're now following Jesus and they want to know where he's going I mean you know they might have spent a lot of time listening and learning but no what where, where are you staying and Jesus has a very simple reply and this is the reply he just simply says to them come and you will see see I think these two disciples needed time with Jesus. They needed time to work it all out. They needed time to think it through. They needed time to ask their questions. They needed time to discover what it was that Jesus could do in their lives. They'd heard John's declaration that he was the one who could take away the sin of the world, but what did that mean? What did that mean? And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe there's someone here in this church, this congregation, and actually you've got more questions and answers about who Jesus is and what Jesus can do and why Jesus is and why these people worship him and why we sing these songs and why we get together like this in church and all, all of that. And you're kind of at the level on the, on the chart, which is the, the church kind of vision, I think. Uh, you're, you're on that step, the, 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 the discovery step or the questioning step. Somehow you just want to work out a bit more what this is all about and you need to take that time. And I've got a shrewd idea there are lots of people in this church who actually would be really, really excited about the possibility of sitting down and just talking that stuff through with you. But you need to ask, because we can't guess whether you're that person or not. I'm going to ask you at the end of this service to make sure you tell us. If you're one of these people like these two, just need to come and see and have an opportunity. No one's going to pressurise you or force you. You can't do that. Give you the opportunity to say what's on your mind, to ask the questions you don't know the answers to, to come and see. And equally, if we're a signpost, a signpost of Jesus, we need to be ready to talk to people, to give an answer, an answer for the hope within us, as the Bible puts it. To be the kind of person who wants to tell their story and to explain their faith can be very powerful. To make that opportunity, take those opportunities. Second person in this story is uh, Andrew and Simon Peter. Uh, well, those are the two I've just looked at, aren't they? So now we'll go to the second one, which is uh, Philip. Now, Philip's an interesting one because Jesus has a completely different approach to Philip. Uh, this isn't a come and see and you know, ask your questions and find out. Uh, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. So there's no, no pussy footing around here. In the first place, he's gone out of his way, Jesus has gone out of his way to make sure he discovers where Philip is. And when he's found Philip, he then says to Philip, follow me. Now, was that an invitation or was that a command? I don't want to make a decision about that, actually. I think it was a bit of both. He could have said no, and he could have walked away. Philip could have walked away. But on the other hand, it was a bit of a command follow me. You shouldn't have a choice. You should do this. This is the thing you need to do most of all. Sounds presumptuous, it sounds authoritative, but it's the way Jesus spoke to Philip follow me. Now, you have to remember that these scenarios are not in a vacuum. Philip had a Greek name. It meant lover of horses but there's no record of him ever riding one although he may have done. But Philip was a Jew so he had a deep and abiding understanding of the Old Testament by part of the Bible and the practices surrounding Judaism. He'd heard and probably knew John the Baptist. He no doubt had had listened to him at times. And as we read on through the Gospels, we discover something about Philip. He's a kind of analytical type. He's the per- kind of person who can kind of, kind of talk his way out of anything. He's the one who sort of works it out and, and in his mind. And the way, reason I know that is because uh, you may remember the story of the fe- you will remember the story of the feeding of the five thousand. And they got to the end of the day, and it's five thousand plus because it's uh, they only counted the men in those days. So I'm sorry, they were. a bit sort of sexist but you know they included the women there was probably another 5,000 more women and children so there was a a lot of people listening to Jesus for a whole day and by the end of the day they were getting hungry the tummies were rumbling and Jesus was not unaware of this and probably his tummy was rumbling too so he turns to one of his disciples and says "Uh, how are we going to feed this lot and the disciple that he turned to was Philip now, we know that Judas was in charge of the money, so you might have thought he'd have turned to Judas and said, hey, have you got enough money to feed these people? But he didn't do that. He turned to Philip and he said, Philip, how are we going to feed these people? So maybe he was the one who was responsible for the picnics. I don't know. But Philip did his business. He, I can imagine him standing there next to Jesus, scratching his head and getting out his pocket calculator, because, you know, they had them then, and... Um, just doing some sums you know working out 5,000 men plus women and plus um, uh, how much how many loaves of bread we need yes and then uh, we'd need to um, we need some butter of course and, uh, and probably some cheese and maybe, no if we'd have fish instead then we wouldn't need the butter and uh, and then um, how much money have we got how much money can we get from them how much are they earning so that they might be able to get, and, and sorry Jesus it can't be done can't be done. Sounds a bit like a church treasure. No, sorry, didn't say that. I'm sure, your church treasure is not like that. I uh, just said I can't. It can't be done. And Jesus did it, didn't he? <laughs> he took a little lad's lunch and he fed the whole lot. Now, I don't know how he did that, but that's how the story went. See, Philip had a sense of the impossible. He relied on his, his analytical brain to work it all out. And he knew it couldn't happen. So if Jesus had said to Philip when he met him the first time, Philip, it would be a great idea if you would love to come along and discover a bit more about me and maybe you know, begin to become one of my disciples, Philip would have thought of a thousand and one reasons why that was a really bad idea. So Jesus simply says to him, follow me. And there are some people, there maybe someone here this morning, And there are some people who we we meet with regularly, we talk to about the Christian message, that actually it's time we said, no more thinking, no more talking, no more discussing, no more trying to work it out. You just follow Jesus. Because if I put it kind of crudely, really, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. If you take the step of faith that Jesus is the Son of God, that he loved you, that he died for you, that he rose from the dead, that he can take away all your sin, that he can assure you of heaven and he can be with you through all those obstacles that you need to free run through, then follow him and you'll discover it all by yourself with him Uh, and you you don't need to work any more out. See, Philip knew. He knew what he needed to do when Jesus said follow me and the message of Jesus is summed up for us in some a couple of slides I want to show you just near our house we have a, a beauty clinic called sin i don't know why you called a beauty clinic sin except i suppose all those beauty products cover up a multitude of them <laughs> but there it is and what philip needed to deal with was his sin What we need to deal with is our sin and we can't do it. We can cover it up all we like, but what we need is what Jesus has come to provide. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus who went to a cross and paid the price. The Bible puts it this way, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you're a person this morning who just resonates even a little with that statement, Jesus says to you this morning, follow me. And then finally, there's this uh, last couple of people. Well, one person, really. Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. Now, Philip this is what happens when people become Christians when they begin to follow Jesus they kind of go and find somebody else they go and tell someone and uh, so someone else gets that opportunity and that's what happens in this particular incident so Philip says to Nathaniel we found the one Moses wrote about in the law we found him. We found the one we've been looking for. We found the one who is uh, has can change everything. We found the one who we have been studying about over the years. We found the one that we need. He's here. Jesus. Now, these guys. Most of these guys were from the place called Bethsaida. Bethsaida's a small village. And uh, a place where uh, an amazing miracle happened later on in the life of Jesus. There was a man by a pool of water who was blind. And this is what happened. Suddenly he discovered that someone had spat on the ground. He heard the noise. Pretty disgusting. And then, after a very short delay, he felt someone rub some of the mud from the ground, presumably where he'd spat on his eyelids. It kind of gets more gross as you go on, doesn't it? But the amazing thing about it was, when he opened his eyes, for the first time in his life, he saw things that he'd never seen before. So he thought the trees were men walking. Well, it must be pretty staggering to suddenly see stuff that you've touched and felt and heard, but you didn't know exactly what it looked like. He thought these trees, these people, were trees walking. So Jesus touches his eyes again and and he's healed completely. He can see everything. The blue skies for the first time. He can see the the, the beauty of the clouds, the, the, the hills behind him. The people and Jesus in front of him. Jesus had done this. Changed his life he got a uh, 2020 vision as the the message version of the bible puts it jesus laid hands on his eyes again the man looked hard and realized he'd recovered perfect sight saw everything in bright 2020 focus so everyone who heard and met this guy afterwards wanted to know who he was how he got to see again and you can't actually contradict experience can you very easily when someone has experienced something, it's their experience, it's real to them, it's difficult to contradict it. And whether it's that blind man who met Jesus and had his sight restored for him, or the people in this passage who met Jesus face to face and, and responded to his invitation, come and see, come and follow me, these people's experience was a change of life and a new future. In Nathaniel's case, the last of the guys, in Nathaniel's case, when he heard that they'd found a guy called Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, his immediate response was, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Before I moved to Essex, I used to hear that quite a lot. Essex? Anything come from, good come from Essex? You're good Suffolk people, so I suppose you may have an empathy with that. But I've lived there for three and a half years, and I can tell you. Anyway, that's off the, off the, off the subject. Here's Nathaniel. Can't believe that Nazareth, the place called Nazareth, could actually be anything significant. But, but what Philip is saying is we found the one. We found the Messiah, the Christ. Nazareth is a, a small town. There's now a, a little a little replica of it just outside the modern-day Nazareth. You see the pictures on the screen, just to give us an idea what it was like there and then in the times of Jesus. Because it was so small, it was of probably no significance politically or socially or in terms of uh, trade, uh, and certainly not a religious centre, so you wouldn't have great expectations of Nazareth. But Philip's response is very simple. He just says, Come and see. And if your heart this morning is, there can't be anything in this Christianity. You know, it just seems there's all sorts of things wrong with it. You know, you look back into history and you say, well, what about? And, and, and you can find things like that that write it off. And then we just simply say, come and see, because it's not about religion or religious significance. It's about a new relationship formed because you've come and encountered Jesus, the promised one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm going to show you a short clip, very short clip, of someone who discovered that Jesus is the Son of God, just like Nathaniel, because that's what he ended up saying, you are the Son of God. Because when he met him, his preconditions, all his thinking disappeared. Hi, my name's Matty, I'm 26 years of age, and I'm a teacher. When I was a teenager, I wasn't very nice to know. My grand did give me a Bible, and I did know about God. I knew my life was going in the wrong direction, but I didn't know what to do about it. Now that I know God personally, it's different. I feel like I've got strength inside that I didn't have before. I always found it quite hard when Christians talk about God as a father because my own dad left me and my mum when I was quite young and I never really got on with my stepdad. But through my relationship with God, I've I've learned to accept what my dad did to us and I've even come to like my uh, my own stepdad. It's, It's hard to forgive and forget, but now God's helping me through it and it really is a help people who've discovered the difference that Jesus can make in their lives. Some of you will recognize them from the More to Life DVD. I've got the gift wrap version with me tonight, the gift wrap for Christmas, so if you want a copy to give to someone leading up to Christmas, it's ideal for that purpose. Morning. That's what we want to say to you, that no matter what sin there is in our lives, Christ is a great Savior. He's the one who can cleanse us from all sin. He's the one who can put a new life within us. He's the one who gives us a new start. He's the one who can change everything and give us all the power we need to deal with the obstacles, to face up to the obstacles and to become a free runner. And if this morning there's someone here who needs to hear that call, follow me. Or maybe you're back a bit from that and you need to just talk to some people. You're at uh, the questioning step. Make sure you talk to somebody best way of doing that is to come and sit on the front row here because then we'll know you want to talk to somebody and someone will come and talk to you but if this morning you're on the greatest step you know that's the call follow me there's no need to procrastinate there's no need to have more conversations because you'll only keep talking round and round in circles this morning it's to follow me then in the midst in this last song that we're going to sing the band would like to come up and and we'll sing amazing grace maybe you will just again come and sit on the front row because we'll then know that we can help you to take that final step and follow him and find new life and i want to say to the rest of us does that thrill you that possibility that, that that message that all that god wants to do And how important it is that we take the opportunities, pray for the opportunities, make the opportunities. Just to tell someone about Jesus. There's people out there with loads of questions. Stuff they'd like to talk about. But we're often not available to talk. Tell them, come and see. Not necessarily come to church, but come and see by sitting down and thinking it through, talking it through. Or if there's someone who keeps on just raising all those red herrings, say, look, time to follow him and give them the challenge. Let's stand as we sing Amazing Grace together. And if uh, this morning your need is to respond, come and, and to the front seat. Just sit there. You don't have to come and stand anywhere. Just come and sit so we know. Or after the service, come and sit so we can talk. Because we just want to want that opportunity, if we can have it, uh, as we can help you to discover what these people in these stories discovered—amazing grace.